deserves a, a raise for being our uh, liturgy uh, or for being our reader this month. He's read some long passages this 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 month um, because there's so much about Joseph and the story. We can't read it all, but I truly, I just invite you if you haven't done it, read the last 14 chapters of Genesis and just read it all in a sweeping uh, kind of way because the story is just. It's amazing. It truly is uh, colorful. You remember our first Sunday? It was 17-year-old Joseph who had all these great dreams. God is not really mentioned in that chapter explicitly. It kind of reminds me of the prevenient grace of God. Even Even when we don't notice God, God is always working right underneath there in the surface. And then you'll recall the next week, Of course, he landed that really great job at Potiphar's house. He was like Secretary of State for Egypt. And uh, and, and Joseph was falsely accused, thrown into into jail. He begins to to mention God. I I, I wouldn't want to do this against God. And you'll recall the big thought that day was to find your Rachel. Or find that fire that burns hotter in you than the fires that burn around you. Just like his dad, Jacob, who who had to work seven years for the love of his life, Rachel. And it says in Scripture that it seemed but just a few days, right? And lots of times that fire, that internal fire goes out. we got to find our first love. And then last week, you'll recall that... um, Instead of, see, Joseph is maturing, now he's in middle age, and instead of worried about his own dreams, he starts interpreting other people's dreams, which opens the door for him. And isn't it ironic how life works in faith that, that, that our own dreams unfold as we help other people with their dreams. So now we've got today. We've got Today and uh, this story that Jeff read is sort of the, the it's the it's the finale it's the it's the reconciliation it's the cinnamon roll hug of him and all his brothers when he finally when he finally um, uh, loves them and weeps and uh, and we see reconciliation and forgiveness a lot to unpack there uh, let's open up with a word uh, a prayer before we. We go, God, the grass withers and the flower fades, but we know that your word of love and grace endures forever. Um, plant a seed in our hearts today. Give us the courage to live out the good news that we might hear today. Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. So Richard Rohr, a Franciscan preach, has written this. All great spirituality is about what we do with our pain. All great spirituality is what we do with our pain. I find that to be a fascinating statement. It's all great spirituality is not what we do with our gifts or not what we do with our money or not what we do in our work, our families, in our church. No, spirituality, according to Richard Rohr, is first and foremost about what you and I do with our pain. Do you think that's right? Do you agree? Consider Joseph. Consider what Joseph did with his pain a long time ago. What he did with his pain. Today's text is the end 
of a larger, wonderful story, obviously, in the book of Genesis that I talked about. And it's one of my favorites in all of Scripture. You'll recall that when Joseph was younger, uh, to put it mildly, he was an irritating brother. He was a brat. And uh, he had two dreams in which his older brothers bowed down to him. And like an idiot, he tells his brothers about the dream. Probably shouldn't have done that, but he did. And he told them, oh, I'm the apple of my father's eye. So those older brothers resented him. They sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites, who in turn sell him to Potiphar, while Joseph's older siblings try to cover their tracks. So they present their father with Joseph's robe, Jacob, and they dipped it in goat's blood, and they make it look like their brother was killed. What a cruel thing to do with their father. And Jacob was inconsolable. Jacob was devastated, and years go by. Joseph goes from being a slave in Egypt to interpreting Pharaoh's dreams in Egypt to becoming prime minister, first in command, right under Pharaoh of all of Egypt. And then a famine hits the land. Egypt has bread because of what Joseph did. Save a little bit, good years, You'll have more grain in the lean years and we can work it through. And like a charm, it all works out perfectly. The famine goes far beyond Egypt and we've got foreigners coming into Egypt and lo and behold, his brothers show up with empty sacks looking for food to save their lives. This is where they meet Joseph. And they don't recognize Joseph. But Joseph recognizes them. Now let me ask you this, if you were in Joseph's shoes, think about this, they tried to kill him. If you were in his shoes, what would you do to his brothers, to, what would you do to your brothers? If you had all the power in the world like Joseph, what would you say to your brothers? All great spirituality, says Roar, is about what we do with our pain. Seems to me that Richard Roar could have been speaking to our own lives now as well. A lot, lot we can deduce from this. If I could have read you, you know, that first story where he recognizes his brothers. It's two chapters before what Jeff read. He doesn't instantly throw out his arms at his brothers. He doesn't instantly say, I forgive you. He doesn't instantly say, come close to me, Right? He kind of like, I'm not sure he even knows what he's about to do. And he probably feels like giving them own taste of their own medicine, right? Revenge, boy, revenge can be so sweet. You ever been tempted? Return a little evil for evil? He could have done it, but he doesn't. But he doesn't immediately forgive them. Just a quick aside, a little life lesson here. The deeper the wound, the longer it takes to forgive. And you've probably lived that out in your life. All these stories about Joseph's dreams and about what's going to happen. But you know what? Even if you're prime minister of Egypt, your past will catch up with you. And you don't, if you don't deal with your past, your past will deal with you. And for most of us, our past has faces and names of people that might have broken our hearts and shattered us and pushed us in a hole. And made us want to scream. Well, what are you going to say to your brothers? What are you going to do to your brothers? 
How did Joseph come to terms with what he could not control? You can have the best job, make all kinds of money. But there are some things in our life that you cannot control. And some of that is how and when you might get hurt by others. And if we're really telling the truth, some of that is that you and I hurt other people. We do that too. How do we, how do we manage that? And how did Joseph reimagine his life after what his brothers did to him? I mean, that's a, that's a now question, isn't it? That's not some ancient story. How did he do it? Well, when he finally sees his brother again, uh, he doesn't take their life. He does play around with them, right? He puts them in jail, has Simeon stay for collateral. You could read that in, those, in, that, in that part of Genesis. He, he chews them out a little bit. He shouts at them. He says, you're being spies. I know you're asking for food, but I know you're spies. And it's kind of like, have you ever chewed somebody out, but not really for the direct reason you're mad at them or somebody ever done that to you? He's just letting off some steam and trying to figure it out. But he doesn't throw them in jail forever. He doesn't ignore them. Hey, I'm just going to let those bozos pass on by. I don't care about it anymore. They're, they're dead to me. He, he doesn't pretend not to recognize them. He doesn't send them away empty-handed. Joseph does something, though, in our text that is so remarkable and so courageous. Most of the time I would say, don't emulate Joseph. In fact, most characters in the Bible you don't want to emulate, right? But maybe here, maybe we might can get inspired by a couple of things. Instead of putting distance in his present life and his broken dysfunctional family, instead of putting distance between his new life and the pain of his old life, he says to his brothers, come closer. This is what Jeff read. Come on closer. Come closer. It's not easy sometimes to get close to things that have wounded you or that are dangerous to you. But we're called as followers of Jesus to come close. In Fred Ostiovsky's book, uh, The Five Lessons of Life. He owns a, he owns, Fred owns a hospice in San Francisco. He talks about all the lessons he's learned about people dying. And one day, he had a linesman who was dying. A, a, a linesman, you know, climbing those poles, fixing the, fixing the lines that are down. And the linesman, he was dying. He was talking about uh, the scariest time as a linesman. One of them is when they put that pole in the ground, there's a little bit of a chance, a little bit of a chance that that pole doesn't hit that hole right and it can fall. And so Fred looked at him and said, oh boy, I bet when that thing starts to, starts to teeter, I bet everybody starts running away. He says, nope, that's how you get killed. He said, you do just the opposite. You run toward the pole as it's falling because what you see won't kill you. You can get out of the way. You can hold it and, and touch it with your hands and, and step to the side. Same thing when it comes to our more difficult relationships. Same thing. We can run and we can go high and we can go long and we can go, go as far that way. But it's kind of like that dead skunk in the trunk. It's going to stink all the way no matter how far you drive. Or it's like the dirt on your windshield. I don't care how far you drive. you got to deal with it. If we don't deal with our past, usually by around 40 years old, your past starts to deal with you. 
When he finally sees his brothers again, he says, come close. Come close. Come close. He doesn't ignore them. He says, come close. He finally weeps. Joseph weeps six times in these three chapters. He grieves. And it's all right to grieve when you've been hurt or when you've hurt somebody else. He finally reveals to his brothers, you recognize me? I'm your brother. I'm alive. He says real quick, well, how's dad doing? He wanted to know about Papa, Papa Jacob, right? But this is what he said. This is Joseph's turning point, I think. And this is sort of, I see a lot of Jesus in this. There's a thread there. There's a gospel thread. He says this, and now... So his brothers, do not be distressed because don't you know they were frightened because they thought this guy's powerful and he could, he could do us in. He could throw us in jail and, lock the key and just throw away the keys forever if he wanted to. He says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me here before you to preserve life. Joseph said to his brothers, you sold me? But God sent me. And that is a big time pivot in all of our lives. At some point, we either see our lives as being sold or sent. And Joseph claims his sentness. In other words, Joseph found something greater than his wound to live for. You know, you don't address that wound in life, whatever that is, whatever that nick or cut is, you wind up bleeding on everybody. But if you walk to that teetering pole and pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, maybe God will guide your words and maybe you will find, we will find our sentness over our being sold. Joseph's reimagined who God wants him to be. He's not the apple of his father's eye anymore. He's not the favorite son with the awesome looking coat, receiving fancy robes from his dad. No. And he's not the victim of a terrible act by his siblings. That's not how he's going to identify himself. He's the person God sent to help his family. He's the person God sent to help even people who acted like his enemies. Does that sound a little bit like Jesus to you? Do y'all hear a little bit of Jesus in that? I do. I hear a lot of it. You sold me, but God sent me. Later on, Genesis says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Even in the difficulties Joseph experienced his life, he did not respond with vengeance or with bitterness. Joseph responded as a sent person. Sent by God to preserve life. Sent by God to create new life. Sent by God to be a beacon of God's grace wherever he went. Limping, yes. Wounded. Lots of wounds, I guess, on him. But that did not deter him. Y'all know this. But Fred Beekner said this. It's like withholding forgiveness or holding a grudge with somebody is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You don't want that medicine. You don't want that medicine. It's a good bottle model for all of us. He may not have realized that it was happening. I kind of think Joseph said it and couldn't believe he said it. And all of a sudden something changed in his heart. 
He says, I'm greater than this. God has been with me every step of the way. I'm greater than this. And God's going to get me through this. God was turning Joseph's pain into new possibilities. Possibilities not just for Joseph, but for everybody who excluded him. It's a good model. It's a good way to live. What if we too, what if you and I, what if we saw ourselves as sent people and not as sold people? The media, all kinds of people going to want you to feel like you're a sold person. Nurture that wound. Come check out this, this story, that person. Let me scare you with this, let me scare you with that. You know why? Because it sells soap. Because your fear and your bitterness and your angerness is making money for somebody else. But you're not sold. We're sent people. We're sent people. Not sold people. I put this on my Facebook, and I just got to let you know, first of all, I'm a big Ronnie Millsap fan. Anybody like Ronnie Millsap? Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I, he's one of those guys that probably didn't get, get enough credit in this, in, in, in this time. But uh, I looked it up. He had 42 single hits. And there are some. I started humming a song back there, uh, and I couldn't. It's kinda, he's got those songs that kind of stay in your head a little bit. Did y'all know he was discovered by Charlie Pride in Los Angeles in the early 60s? He hung out a lot with Johnny Cash in June. He was right there, right? And so I've always looked up to him. But if you'll go to my Facebook and listen to the NPR interview by David Green on Weekend Edition, it's right there on my Facebook. It's 11 minutes. It'll be the best 11 minutes you spent this week if you listen to it. Ronnie was born the same year my dad was, 1943, January 16. He was born in extreme rural poverty in the state of North Carolina. His mom was very religious. She was also very cruel. Ronnie was born blind. She didn't want him. She blamed Ronnie for his own blindness. When he was 13 months old, she held him in her hands and she walked over to her mama's house and said, Take him. I can't handle him. Later on, and you'll learn in this interview, that his mom, well, he was raised by his grandparents. Thank God for those grandparents. His mom went on to have other children. Abigail was one of her kids. When Abigail was six years old, Ronnie said, Mama took her, took her to her parents' house where Ronnie was and uh, said, here's your sister. I want you to feel her eyes. She can see. She didn't bring shame and embarrassment to me. Now, when I heard that, I was driving on the road and I wanted to scream. I literally could hardly see. How can a human being do that to another human being? But then I kept listening. And Ronnie said this. Um, he said, you know, 
He said, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. My grandparents sent me to the North Carolina School for the Blind, and they discovered I knew how to play a piano. And they heard my voice, and they believed in me. Now, this was a year ago. Ronnie Millsaps' mom is still alive. Last thing he ever said to her, she ever said to him, was, hey, check out my daughter. You know, that shameful thing that she said to him, kind of blaming him for his own blindness. And he was promoting his gospel album. And it was so amazing, because can you imagine? Here's Ronnie Millsap singing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see Ronnie Millsap. He says, you know, I've forgiven my mom a long time ago, he said. He said, I really do wish her well. And I don't have any bad feelings about her. Because as painful as that was, I got to bless a lot of people with my voice. I wouldn't go through it again, but I don't blame her. How does that kind of forgiveness happen? Now, what if Ronnie Millsap had stayed in a shell and stayed embittered? What if he just ignored that trauma and didn't run toward it? What if he'd been paralyzed by his own pain? What if he'd never seen himself as a sent person? Well, that'd be 42 greatest hits we'd never have heard. But even more than that, he would have never lived the life that God had planned for him. It's easy to see ourselves as sent by God, right? When we've got the wind at our back, and when they're smooth sailing ahead, or when life is going the way we thought it would go. That's easy. It's harder to see our lives as sent by God when we're in a storm. When we don't know which way the wind's going to blow tomorrow. Time of uncertainty. And yet, when you look at the Bible... God is always sending people in the less than ideal times. Do you remember John's gospel? All those disciples locked in a room, scared to death of what they were going to do to them. They saw what they did to Jesus. And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I sent you. You remember Ananias on a street called Straight? God said, Ananias, I want you to go to this street. I want you to lay your hands on Paul He's blind right now, and we're going to lay our hands on him. And uh, Ann and I said, really? You know, Paul was trying to kill me yesterday. <laughs> Less than ideal. But Ananias went because he believed he was sent. And he ran toward that pole. And we got the, the awesome church planter that wrote about a third of your New Testament. Do you remember? God might send us maybe to reconcile with people who hurt us. That could happen. God might send you to people who are really difficult to love at times. It just might happen. Jesus is sometimes a hard boss. I just got to admit it right now. <laughs> 
sometimes going to tap on your shoulder and ask you things, do, do things that are not pleasant, nor are they easy. But Jesus is with you, whatever that unpleasant thing might be. All great spirituality is what we do with our pain. You want to grow as a disciple? Find that wobbly pole in your life and run toward it. See what God does. What will you do with your pain? Hold it in? Run from it? Those are options. Or will you let God redeem it? Create something new with it? What you going to do? Now, Joseph said to his brothers, come a little closer. And so, they came a little closer. Joseph ran toward that pole. And God used Joseph to do some amazing things. Now, I felt like on Wednesday with Ben and Catherine and a handful of our youth petrified on the Okotoma River. And uh, Breland there was really making me nervous because she was being Miss Evil Knievel. Doing stuff. It's like, Breland, stop that. You don't do that stuff, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm calling you out, Breland. So she's floating down there. And the next thing I do is I go look up river and I see Ben blowing up a raft and about to push Breland down this sort of, she was going to go down this thing real fast. And of course, Ben is like, he's a regular there at Okatoma. So I, I knew he knew what he was doing, but I was nervous. And there was a big smile on Breland's face. And she was holding that raft. And she was floating down that with a big smile on her face until she went over the edge and she went, bloop. I was like, and I held my breath. Where's Breland? And all of a sudden, bloop, 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 she popped up. And she's floating around. Breland, I got, don't worry about it. I got you, Breland. And I was grabbing her, you know. But I was so proud of Breland because she did what kind of scared her a little bit, right? Were you a little scared at that point? You went, from like, you went from like, this is the best day of my life to why in the world did I go on this trip? I'll never trust Ben again. Um, but I just sort of see that as a metaphor, I think. Because getting on that raft called reconciliation and forgiveness is a little bit scary because you're not in total control. But we got to remember that you're in God's current and that God is going to be a part of that. So if you need some courage today to forgive somebody, don't leave here. Don't leave here without saying a prayer and say, God, put me on that raft. I'm going to run toward the pole. I trust you. And something's great is going to happen because you are a sent person, not a sold person. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. God of all grace and glory, Lord, you have you've gotten us through some painful things in our life, all of us, individually, as a church. I mean, we're going through a painful time right now as a church. We think about our denomination, everything going on. And Lord, it's just so easy to pull back in our own shell and not remember, God, that you're in the midst of all things. 
And that even as we get cut up a little bit, because life will do that to us, you're making something beautiful. Because we know what people mean for evil, you mean for good. Lord, help us to walk in that truth today. Help us to live like Joseph in living color. Ask all these things in the name of our ultimate Joseph, Jesus the Christ, who forgives, who reconciles, and who makes new all things. Amen. Okay, take it away. Thanks be to God for his saving grace.